welcome to the Athero Crime, America's number one killer, where we investigate the blood curling MOs, victimology, geographic profile, and current methods of catching atherosclerosis, the most terrifying killer we've seen in centuries. My name is Jayathi. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Isha, and we're your hosts. Each week, we dive into the truths about atherosclerosis with the help of featured guests who will give us their expert opinion on the field. Last week, we spoke to Dr. Sankusari about what atherosclerosis is and the risk factors for this disease. A clue we picked up from our interview with Dr. Sankusari was the importance of knowing the risk factors that lead to the development of atherosclerosis. To look more into that, we decided to interview Dr. McNamara, a professor at the University of Virginia with a research focus on atherosclerosis buildup. Yeah, let's jump right in and see what she has to say. Thank you, Dr. McNamara. Um, for meeting with us. Uh, my name is JST and I'm Isha. Um, so to start off this episode, would you be able to tell us a brief summary of what your research entails? Um, yeah, so I'm a physician scientist um, and with a particular long-term interest in studying what causes buildup of plaque in arteries that leads to heart attack and stroke. And the reason to study and better understand this is so that we can um, you know, advise people about how to reduce their risk of, of um, plaque buildup to lead to these um, major clinical problems. Um, and to learn more about what um, some of the basic mechanisms are so that we can potentially um, discover and develop new therapies that may even be more effective when, uh, when added to uh, current approaches. Um, cardiovascular disease and atherosclerosis is really the leading underlying pathology, um, but cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death worldwide. So I've heard in the past that atherosclerosis is a hereditary disease. Is that true? Yeah, there is a genetic component to atherosclerosis. So we actually asked Dr. McNamara about that. So we actually recently read that you have identified um, that the loss of the ID3 transcription factor results in plaque formation. Is this a result of genetics or environmental factors? And if environmental, like what actions can a person take that can result in this loss? Like, Okay, well, that's, that's a really good question. And it's a really nice lead into um, the things that put um, an individual at risk of developing atherosclerosis, which I know is um, of interest to both of you. So um, atherosclerosis is a heritable disease. So meaning that it runs in families and that's actually considered one of the risk factors when um, a doctor is talking to their patient to understand what their risk of atherosclerosis might be if they had family members, particularly family members that had atherosclerosis and its sequelae, which um, the you know very serious sequelae of atherosclerosis are heart attacks and stroke. Um, but um, you know, understanding if they had family members who who had this problem, particularly at an early age, but um, but really um, just any family history is important too. But but earlier, what we call premature development of atherosclerosis is a strong um, strong factor in terms of determining that there's like you know good chance that there's a genetic risk. So that it three 
the genetic variant of IBRI that we found to be associated with cardiovascular disease is something that's in the genome. So it is a genetic factor. So people are born with that particular, what we call polymorphism. It means it's a, uh, a different nucleotide in the DNA code compared to what's more common in the general population. So people are born with that, that's a genetic factor. And so that is one of the risk factors for cardiovascular disease that you actually can't change. Um, many of them you can, that is one that you can't change. It's not an environment. So mm -hmm. um, what, what can we do to, I guess, learn about like this family history? Like, is this, can we just ask your doctor or is there like um, a test that we can take that um, verify if there's like something in our genes that's indicating like, oh, maybe we're at higher risk? Well, I do think it's something that you would define in, the, in, with, in conjunction with your doctor, but actually it's not you asking your doctor, it's your doctor asking you. And so their question to you is, is there anybody in your family who's had a heart attack? Okay. And if there is, they'll say, how old were they? Um, and again, if it's somebody that's in their late 80s, age is a very strong risk factor for atherosclerosis. So that wouldn't really be considered genetic if it's somebody that's in their you know, advanced 80s or you know, quite old. But certainly if someone in your family had uh, a heart attack before the age of um, 55, you know, the younger like that, that would very much suggest that you have a, a family history. So they would ask you about each of your parents, your siblings, you know, all your other relatives. And that's how they would uh, work with you to determine whether or not you have uh, a family history. In conjunction with working with their doctor, uh, people can actually get help with quitting smoking, maybe get, you know, get recommendations and support for being involved in a physical activity program, meet with a dietitian and learn how to eat heart healthy foods, have their diabetes treated, have their high blood pressure treated and have their cholesterol treated. And all of these things, um, there's been a wealth of research, clinical research in humans about these being uh, risk factors and that really targeting these risk factors can reduce the risk of atherosclerosis. Oh my gosh, guys, this is what now? The second time diet has come up during this podcast? Hmm, yeah, I guess that is true. Well, maybe we should look into it next time or something. Okay, so um, so we talked about like the factors that lead to it. Are there like certain groups of people who might be at higher risk? Um, and if so, like, I guess like who, yeah, who are these people who are like at higher risk? Does demographics play a role? Um, where maybe where they live? Um, are there, yeah, is there anything like that that um, I think it's really largely, and sometimes demographics does defi do define things like um, diet and smoking and things like that. So to the extent that they impact on these known cardiovascular risk factors, demographics could play a role. Um, but I think really at the end of the day, um, it's, um, it's, it, it is these risk factors that we just discussed that are really what puts you at risk. Oh man, there's so many risk factors to keep in mind. I wish there was a way to compare all these and, you know, like predict my risk level or something. 
Yeah, so I do think that there's a lot of ways that physicians, researchers, they, they quantify someone's risks. McNamara actually talks about one of the more common methods. There's actually, there actually is a, 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 a formula called the Framingham risk score. And there was a very large study where people have been followed for probably 70, 80 years um, that they enrolled in, you know, probably the, um, in the 1940s um, out of this um, group of people in Framingham, Massachusetts. And they've been followed along and that's really helped us tremendously at understanding what types of factors put people at risk of heart disease because they followed these people and they could see who developed heart disease. And so based on, um, on those features, there actually is a calculator that, you could, that your doctor will put these, these things into, these numbers into, or you know, whether or not you're smoking into, and can tell you what your 10-year risk is of, of having a heart attack. And so, and it's very easy for people's physicians to do once they have all these all this information um, about whether or not they have diabetes, whether they have high cholesterol, whether they're smoking, you know, all these things that we we talked about. And that's really the best way to actually understand somebody's risk. Oh, wow. That's super interesting. That's so cool that I could find out my risk factors like on my own right now. I'll have to look more into that later. So I don't know, let's say I'm at high risk. Are there any symptoms that I should be aware of? Yeah. So actually atherosclerosis is largely asymptomatic, which means that it makes it really hard to detect. But Dr. McNamara goes a little more into this. Is what are some of the symptoms? So until the plaque buildup in the artery gets to a certain size, you're not likely to have any symptoms, okay? So until it starts blocking blood flow, and when it starts blocking blood flow, you know, the early symptoms would be um, what, you, what you would get is, we would call it effort angina, angina being a word for chest pain that's, um, that's cardiac in nature. So when you would exert yourself, you'd get chest pain that would go away if you would rest. That suggests there's a blockage there that when your heart demands more blood, the artery can't meet that demand because of the blockage. Um, and so you usually, uh, by that time, have a pretty substantial narrowing of the blood vessel lumen uh, to give those symptoms. So you would much rather start preventive measures um, before, uh, before that develops. And in addition, um, there can be some people who don't develop those um, warning signs, that effort angina, and yet will still have a heart attack because these plaque builds up, that what these plaque builds up, buildups can actually rupture. And when it ruptures, it forms a blood clot and uh, you and many people in the country will have known someone who had no um, chest pain as a herald, but had sudden death due, due to heart attack. And that's from the plaque rupturing. So you don't want to wait until you get symptoms mm -hmm. to start reducing your risk because lowering your cholesterol and really aggressively changing your lifestyle to be heart healthy can lower your chance of having a heart attack. So you want to do that before your plaque gets so big that you, know, you get uh, pain symptoms when you exert yourself. 
Mm -hmm. um, so you would say that the fact that we can't really see any symptoms until it's too late almost, that's probably the biggest obstacle when preventing or treating or detecting atherosclerosis? Or are there other factors too? Yeah, so I, I think that, I think that the, again, um, uh, the medical community and um, certainly in, to some extent, the broader community, I think, you know, really understands that um, you're still at risk if it runs in your family and you have high cholesterol, you have high blood pressure. Now, maybe that's not universally accepted or understood, but that certainly is the knowledge that comes out of science and a wealth of studies and, and, and the medical community. So that um, it's not that just because, you know, you didn't do an x-ray test to show the plaques. Yeah. If you can do an x-ray test and show the plaque, it doesn't mean that that person, you know, is necessarily high risk if they're treating all their risk factors. If they're, again, treating their cholesterol, they're not smoking, they're seeing their doctor regularly. So, so that the not being able to image it isn't as much of the risk and, and not actually having symptoms to herald, herald that it may be coming on isn't so much the biggest barrier. I think you guys are trying to target one of the bigger barriers. And that, and, and, and that is um, education and really helping people to learn and, and, um, and, and um, embrace um, reducing their cardiovascular risk factors. So, so a lot of it is, I mean, the data, when you uh, look at it, it's very clear these risk factors increase your risk. And yet the um, success rate in our population of getting people to stop smoking cigarettes is certainly not 100%. Yeah. So there's a mismatch between education and actually people, um, or, you know, and, and maybe some of it's an education lack, but even in educated individuals, there's still a, a lack of motivation to, um, or, or just, just a lack of making these changes that would really help their, help their health. So, so some of it is really, again, and what we can do, so then you get to what you can do as a practitioner and that, you know, um, what you can do is, is educate people, you know, like you're trying to do with your outreach and, and let people know how important, if you have a family history and you have any of, you know, go to your doctor and find out what your cholesterol is and find out from your doctor what your risk is. If you're high risk, you can change that. So I remember we asked Dr. Sankusari for advice on what to do if you're recently diagnosed with atherosclerosis. Did you guys have a chance to ask Dr. McNamara the same thing? Yeah, we did actually. And she gave really good advice. So let's hear what she said. Yeah, well, I, I would say that it, the most important thing is going to be going over their full risk, risk factor panel profile with their physician and targeting um, all of them you know, that, that they can. So stop smoking, eat a heart healthy diet, have your cholesterol measured. And um, if it's, if it's elevated and um, especially in the context of your risk factors, get it treated. There's, there's great, you know, drugs that are out there available for uh, the treatment of, of high cholesterol. So get that treated. If you have high blood pressure, 
you know, so have your doctor take your blood pressure. Now, high blood pressure, get that treated. Um, if you have diabetes, um, again, get, go under, get, get treatment for that. So that would be the best advice um, that, that I would get is that make sure that you partner with your physician to know what your risk factors are and get advice, help, and support for being able to modify them. This also doesn't just start when people are 50 or 60. Okay? Mm -hmm. So the process begins, you know, really in your 20s. So okay. it's really important to just start with healthy habits, you know, early on. Okay. And, um, you know, and, and then you develop those habits and they're not so hard to change later. Okay. So, true. Yeah. No, that's actually very, that's a good point because like a lot of like, like even like you were talking about like smoking, like a lot of that starts in like your like 20s or like maybe teenage years and that once you start that habit, it's very hard to quit it. Like, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> that's right. exactly right. Wow. There are so many things to consider that I haven't even thought of before. There's a genetic component with family history. There's a whole part of your lifestyle that you have to consider. And then there's the emphasis on talking with your physician continuously to monitor your risk level. Yeah, and the part that I thought was super cool was that this is the second expert to mention the importance of a heart-healthy diet. Guys, I think this is our sign to finally reach out to a dietitian to talk about what a heart-healthy diet actually is. Well, yeah, that sounds like a plan. So I'll see you guys next week then, where we continue our investigation into America's number one killer, atherosclerosis. And thank you to you, listeners, for tuning in from the entire atherocrime team.